Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan. And today we are here with Tim Kubiak, and I could not be more excited to have this guy here. We were talking about this in the pre-interview. I just, I love interviewing people with successful careers in sales because they make the best interviews because they've got a different take on it than even somebody who's in the marketing space or in the business space. So to give you a little bit of background on Tim, I mean, this guy has 20, 25 years of experience in the sales realm, but he's closed over $2 billion in goods sold. Just think about that. That's B. And I always love to, to quote our, our last president, Donald Trump, with the billions and billions You've got to watch that video if you haven't seen that. It's hilarious. It's like 10 minutes of him saying billions. Quite hilarious. Anyways, whether you stand politically, it's a funny video. So Tim, first off, say what's up to everybody and let's hop in. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I am stoked to have you here, Tim. So I want to ask you my very first question, which is really it's centered around your business and how you would grow. And this is a little bit of an unorthodox question because you are from the sales realm, from a sales background. So for you, if you had to completely start over again, you still have your network, but you, um, you've lost all the money, you've lost everything. You've got to completely start over from scratch. You have the previous knowledge. What type of business would you build and how would you sell enough through that business to have a livable income within 90 days? So I'd focus on something that had a recurring revenue stream. So I kept building for the future. And I would sell more aggressively into my network and not bank on legacy relationships. Where you've been is not where you're going. And we've seen the world pivot so much lately. I've seen people get caught short that haven't taken that approach. Wow. And that, that was such a unique answer. And I, I want to ask you a follow-up question with that because almost every other person we bring on says, go sell to your past network. What you're saying is don't sell to your, your past network, focus on your new network. Sell to your past network, but don't bank on them. Don't assume that they're going to carry you. I'll tell in my personal story, I started, I stepped away from corporate life a little over a year ago, right? Right as the pandemic hit past network, everybody's checkbook dried up. My business stayed afloat because I went after new business aggressively. I didn't rely on people that had been customers in the past. And for you, you mentioned doing like a recurring revenue stream. So would you recommend like an information product, a SaaS model? And I ask you this because you've had so many different types of businesses. Which of the ones would you, would you start with? So it depends on where you're coming from. An information product that's a subscription service is great. Um, a SaaS service is fantastic. So I spent a lot of time in the hardware and software world. Hardware's dead. All my old friends hate me. I say it to everyone who will listen. The future is SaaS and that recurring revenue is a heroin drip. Everybody's hooked, right? Once you get them in, them canceling, them moving away is different and you, you cash your checks every month. And it doesn't matter. It can be telecom services. It can truly be SaaS. There's a ton of models out there people don't recognize that EBITDA and the um, exit strategy is better too for anybody who's really paying attention to that. <laughs> and, and I hope people do pay attention to that because a lot of people who come into our world, they're, they're really set on building a personal brand. And a personal brand is very valuable. I do highly promote that our entire business is built around personal brand, but it's not a saleable asset. You can't sell you, right? There's no whoring yourself out to somebody else, right? You, I try. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to make a comment about that, Tim. <laughs> um, 
but for you, you know, like when you're working with, with companies and helping them to, to establish models like this, where are you getting your initial customers from to be able to sell something that does have a, a saleable business? So I'm working with a couple early stage companies right now in the SaaS space, right? Kind of innovative ones on the blockchain side, ones on the app side in the ed tech world. And, and one of the biggest struggles both of them have had is defining what they want to be when they grow up, right? The, I want to be X. Your product's Y. Go sell Y. There's nothing wrong with selling it at $2,400 a drink to 100,000 people versus 20,000 a drink to five. Well, and so for, for a lot of them, it's, it's <laughs> who are you, where are you going, and <laughs> what's the long run game? What, what do you really solve? Yeah. Right. I, I always joked, I want to be the first short fat man with the sneaker contract. Wasn't realistic. <laughs> and I tell it to founders all the time. They're like, that's stupid. I'm like, yep. Sometimes, sometimes where you're trying to market, if nobody has money in it, but you have a product that solves this, there's the greater good conversation. Follow the money. Yeah. No, oh, I love that. And, and that's really interesting because, I mean, your methodology isn't really around business models and all these things that kind of slow down the process. You're saying, get to the money, right? Create a product or service that, that you can quickly get to the money. So with that in mind, um, would you recommend selling either before you've built the product or do you need to build the product first before you can sell it? So it depends. If you're selling somebody else's product and you're wrapping your services around it, so like a channel model, you can go out there and you can sub the stuff out. And as you build your scale of your business, you can build more of your own services into it and change your EBITDA statements, right? Um, otherwise, get a minimum viable product. By the way, don't build it in an echo chamber. Don't have only your great aunt Sally tell you it's a good thing. Go talk to actual people that have budget to spend on the stuff and get the hard facts. And if you want to go out and sell that and you can pre-sell it. And by the way, I, I've watched somebody last year sell a proof of concept and fund their build that way. So it's doable if it's reasonable, you know, but yeah. it has to be evolved enough. It can't just be, I drew this on a napkin. <laughs> right. And, and I, I think there's um, one, one of the big problems with people transitioning from, um, you know, information products or coaching or something to a real products business is that, is that right? Because they're, they're saying, okay, I want to pre-launch, but they're coming at it with really very little knowledge of the industry, or maybe they're coming at it with, oh, the industry obviously wants this and they try to sell it to them and it's just crickets, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you think about it, information, people that build information products, they, they should have an innate advantage because they've already taken an idea and developed it into something. Maybe you can't carry it around except in your head, but the ability to create that and take that to market and find people that'll buy it and frankly, probably evolve it from their own customer experiences is hugely powerful. You know, think of it, if they know how to sell, they're already ahead because there's a lot of really brilliant people. And one of my favorite stories is I showed up on a call and literally everybody had degrees from like Harvard and Wharton and stuff. And I couldn't figure out what I was doing there. And I asked the dumb question to the founders. I'm like, Okay, what's it cost us to do this? Silence, crickets, no answers. Well, you know, it costs us this much to develop it. Great, what, what, what's a per call charge? They didn't know. What do we sell it for? They didn't know. If you have an information product, you know what everybody's selling their stuff for. You know how to market it. You're already ahead. 
Yeah. And, and I do appreciate that. And one of the reasons I like to recommend people start with an information product is because it allows you to test the market, right? You're really getting to, to listen to people and they're going to be telling you, man, I really wish there was this software that would just do X, Y, Z, right? For you, right? You're in the sales realm, right? Man, I really wish there was an actual CRM that, that catered to my needs as a salesperson instead of just being a generic CRM. So I do want to kind of talk through that with your company in particular, because it sounds like that was your journey working in a space, really getting to know, um, you know, like the, the ins and outs of the service or of the business, but then you tailored a service around that. So let's talk through a little bit about how you developed your software. Yeah. So it was field tested. The first win with the software that we have today, we actually used it inside of one of the major CRM companies. I was running an international sales team at the time. And the first win was legitimately a $125 million contract. Wow. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And I, as I tell the story, we sold it for 5% more than our competition. But if you look at the details, the reason we were able to do that is we took an additional 6 to 12% in risk out of the client's business. And that's really what it is about. It's for us was understanding what the levers were, you know, what the risks were. And as fate would have it, that client had just done a multi-million dollar um, physical goods write-off on aged inventory that was no longer sellable and a number of other things. So we took on that risk and we, we were in a volume business at the time. So we could do that. Yeah. And that's, that's really cool because I, I, the way that you guys developed that, obviously like you saw the need, but I mean, being able to start off with a $125 million contract, right. Is what you said. Yep. Like that's a lot of people look at that and they're going to glaze over. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, I could never do that. So I do want to kind of delve into your process around landing sales like that. And in a, on a sales podcast, people might be like, oh, I've heard this all the time, but here where a lot of us are entrepreneurs, we're marketers, we don't really understand that. Like, how are you actually getting in the door with these massive companies? I mean, you don't get a $125 million contract by hitting up people who make a million dollars, right? No. <laughs> these are Inc. 500 companies. So it, it, it yeah, at the time I was selling to the biggest, most complicated communications companies in the world. So I spent 24 months doing a contract. I already was doing tens of millions of dollars in business. This just happened to be a particular win that they were going after and we helped them win it. Yeah, I love that. So for you, when you're when you're going after these accounts, it's it's a long-term game, right? You're you're doing the long-term outreach, but when you're entering into these companies, are you meeting these people through networking events? Are you cold outreaching to them? Are you networking your way and how do you how do you get in the door with a lot of these people? So tradi traditionally, it was the, the handshake network. It was the old trade shows. It was everything else. Increasingly, though, in the last year, and I know you're in this business, I've met more people in the podcasting business that have become customers than I had in, from your opening question in my old network, right? So it's where you put yourself out and the messaging you send. Well, Tim, you just testified of, of our group coaching program. Thank you. <laughs> Sell through you your podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unintentionally, you just you just sold everybody on our product, right? So I, I do appreciate you mentioning that because I believe that is the number one way to get in the door with people yeah. because you're poking their status button, right? They're like, oh, you brought me here to let me brag? Cool. Now, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it truly, it's built credibility. It's so funny because everybody looked, Look, I'm not a guy who ever expected to know import-export law, currency fluctuations, anything like that. I'm a sales guy, right? And I got really good at that. And in a way, I got pigeonholed. 
So as I was transitioning, they're like, oh, you're the big deal guy. You're the sniper they bring in. And the truth is, is my business is I go in and yeah, that first one was 125 million. But my clients today, I'm helping them win $25,000 deals and $100,000 deals. And they're still seven figure deals. You know, I literally had a coaching call with one of them before this, it was 1.1 million. Guy was thrilled. But it really comes down to what's an important deal for those individuals. Yeah. No, and I appreciate that because for a lot of people in the business space, I even know for myself, there, there's there's a, a numeric amount in our brains that we're like, that's so much. I can never do that, right? I even still have those limiting beliefs, right? But when people are initially starting, I think the, the first big one is, can I do a, a five-figure sale? So let, let's talk through a little bit of, of how you're working with people, especially in your, your programs where you're training people how to do this. How are you helping them to go from not even feeling like they could sell a $10,000 plus product to where they're consistently selling those. So part of it is actually understanding your audience and who you're selling to. So if I was selling to you and you said, look, I've got this $10,000 product. It does X, it does Y, it does Z. You know, we, we use some very generic terms. We try to speak in terms that the customers do. And it's really narrowing it down as, is it an individual buying decision or is it a group buying decision? Right. If I'm selling to you as a sole business owner and you're going to say I yes or no, is there anybody else in the deal that's going to influence you, help me influence you and can say no? And from there, we map that out of what's the buying criteria? Am I costing you money? Am I making you money? Right. Or, or is your solution costing them money or making them money? And then from there, what does it really do and who are you competing against? And my business partner, Steve, hates it, but no decision is a legitimate competition. If I do nothing and I keep spending what I've always spent, yeah, I may get what I always got as the saying goes, but I haven't taken any risk. And part of it is learning to compete against that as well. Yeah, no, and that's, that is awesome. And, and I love, you've been talking a lot throughout the interview about the risk, right? And your job as the salesperson is to remove risk as a factor, right? That's kind of your your methodology is saying, Hey, let's, let's make this kind of a riskless opportunity for them, at least in their, in their brain. Yeah. And it is. And, and I will tell people, you know, I, I, yes, I'm high energy. Yes. I drink too much coffee. Yes. I don't sleep at night, but I've never actually sold anyone anything. Right. I've taken billions of dollars in orders, but what I've really done is solve people's problems. I figure out what they need and I figure out whether I have something that can solve it. And I also believe in being a connector. If I'm not your guy, I will tell you I'm not your guy, but Josh can do this for you. Or, you know, Mike can do this for you and get people to the right place. That pays back in the long term in spades. I love it. I love that because, I mean, that really is the essence of what selling is. It's it, your, your goal isn't to just close them on your service. It's being the person that provides that solution. So I... I love that. You're speaking truth to my soul here. Um, so for you, Tim, and your own company, as you've been you know, developing business through podcasts and through all these places, through your, your previous network, what do you feel like has been um, like your primary lesson learned from, from networking and in this way, like in this new, this new way through podcasting or, or LinkedIn or wherever you're doing it? Learn to speak in your customers' terms. Don't speak in your own. And I'll use an SEO story. We wrote all this stuff and it was based on what I did in the corporate world. And when we tried to take it to other people, they didn't speak that language. They didn't come from that ecosystem. So I spent a lot of time creating content and having conversations that weren't resonating because I didn't use the language my customers were using. And I should have known it. 
but I'm like, ah, we did this. Everybody does it this way. Not true. Talk to them. I knew what they wanted, but I still use my words. And so what do you recommend for people in, in finding those words? Because I know like being in and around your customers is hugely important. One of the, one of the big problems with being an entrepreneur is saying, how much time do I allocate to living among my customers and getting to know what they're about? I mean, do you have a specific method or framework that you use for getting around people? Or is it just literally like dive in? <laughs> so I, I do a strange thing. So what I do is I decide, you know, I've got this idea. I call some people I know because it's nice to call friendly people. And then I call people I don't know and say, hey, look, I'm actually not trying to sell you anything. I'm working on this thing. I just want 30 minutes to know what you really think. And some people give me the 30 minutes. And at the end of it, they're like, okay, and? And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and they're like, y y this wasn't a hook? No, I really want to know. Have those conversations, build that reputation. And then they'll start referring you to other people. It's the greatest market research tool. Spend 20% of your time doing that. I love that. I love numeric amounts. I'm a numbers guy. So I, I love that. Honestly, I think that's something we need to be implementing better because those calls, a lot of times, it's just kind of easy to turn them into sales calls because they're like, well, here's the solution to your problem. It's our service. Pay us money, right? But it's really, really hard to, to refrain from that sometimes. But like you're saying, that creates the advocacy that we're all looking for, right? The, the real referrals where they're not just like, oh, here's my list, right? They're, you're, they're saying, this person is actively looking for your service. And I told them you were an amazing person. They're ready to buy while it's wide open. So I, I love your methodology. Like I said, you're, you're speaking truth here. I'm just going to say amen to everything you say. We'll be good. So for you, Tim, you know, we have covered a lot of different topics already. So I, I do want to make sure that we kind of wrap this all up into like one beautiful little package. So as you are starting this business, let's say you start your business from scratch, like we talked about at the beginning, and you're leveraging these sales methodologies and everything, who is the first person that you hire and you bring in onto your team? In my case, personally, it's, it's a copywriter, an editor, and a marketing person, somebody with those three skill sets, because those are the things that take me away from my core business that I'm not good at. Like you, I'm a numbers guy. I love the numbers. I love the sales process. I love working with salespeople and business owners. I don't love marketing. No, I, I definitely get that. <laughs> I'm the other way around, right? I do love the sales side, but we were talking about this beforehand, right? Like for me, I love the first thing I outsourced was managing my podcast because yeah. I hate everything about podcast except the interview. <laughs> I love right doing there. the interview, love getting to know people, don't like having to do the outrage, don't like having to edit, don't like having to promote on social media. We hire that all out because I don't want to do that. So I, the reason I wanted to ask that as one of the final questions here is because the way you're scaling and the way that you scale your company is really built around who, right? Like the who you're hiring, who you bring into your team. And for you, you're saying, okay, I've got the sales piece, got that taken care of. And are you the guy who also does fulfillment or? So no, I, I do have people that help me. I do 50% of the fulfillment because I don't want to step away from it yet. You know, if you look my weekend, the first four hours of every Saturday before the rest of the world wakes up, I'm, I'm doing my planning, my new content creation and everything. And it's literally a download of what happened the previous week from clients that I can benefit prospects and clients with, right? And I, I try to share pretty openly. Um, and then from there, it really is dry, it just driving the business. And I'm fortunate because I've been around 
nearly 30 years in the industry. My business partner, I hired three times as an outside consultant. So that's awesome. I've got Steve and he's got a team. He's been in business for 15 years. And then I'm building the bench, so to speak. So one of the things I won't do is outsource my own inside sales organization, which seems crazy, right? But I want to grow the next group because I never want to put somebody in front of a customer that isn't a real salesperson. That, that's what we do. That's what we teach. I don't have trainers. I don't have facilitators. I have people that carry a bag, carry a number, know what it's like. And I'm never going to change that. And as long as I can find the right people out there, I'm in a good place. Yeah, I love that. And, and like I said, you really wrapped that the entire thing up in a bow because when it comes down to it, you have to stay in your area of genius. And I love how you mentioned it there at the end. I mean, as the, maybe as the owner of the company, your role shouldn't be the CEO, right? I do not want to be the CEO of my company. I, one of my partners, I was like, you are the CEO. I don't want to do it anymore <laughs> because that requires a lot of the things that are the slog for me. But in your case, right? Who better to outsource your sales to than somebody who has sold $2 billion worth of goods, right? That's, that's a big deal. And you probably couldn't find somebody better to outsource that to. So you're the person, you're the guy for that. So I, I do love that. And the, the fulfillment is being taken care of, not just by you as well. So that's, yeah. that's a cool, cool business model. So I want to ask you um, this, you know, we've talked about quite a different, quite a few different topics, but for you and um, you know, what you guys are promoting as far as with your, your coaching program, your training program for salespeople, can you tell us a little bit about that and how people can get access to that? Sure. So everything can start at my website at timkubiak.com. And literally people laugh at my sales process. When I'm working with somebody new, I actually, yes, you can buy stuff off there. Don't, right? Ha have the conversation because we're particular on who we work with. Not everybody's a good fit for us and we're not a good fit for everybody. So we actually want to have a real conversation. And to my point earlier on being a connector, we'll get you to the right place if we're not the right place. Um, and we have everything that we built from new higher sales skill stuff and we deliver it all live. And by the way, I still deliver this class. I don't let anyone else do it. That runs that if you're hiring new reps and you, you want them not to have product info and you want them to have actual selling skills, right? Um, we have a program that runs every month like clockwork. You put people in, great, it's easy, it's simple. We have the app that we've talked a little bit about that's an add-on, it's sales methodology and CRM agnostic. We know people using just about every CRM system that use it. It's for must-win deals. It's not for your whole pipeline. And these are conversations we're happy to have. And then there's always the mercenary sales management piece in the coaching business too. Love that. So go check that timkubiak.com. And honestly, spelling, that's going to be hard for a lot of people. So it's K-U-B-I-A-K. And we'll also add that description in the link below. So once again, it's timkubiak.com. So make sure you go check that out. I mean, the guy literally just told you, don't buy anything from me until you look through stuff. So <laughs> make sure you go check that out one way or another. He's not trying to like lure you in and hook you into things. But I do want to end on one final question here, Tim. Because we have covered so many different topics, what is your final parting piece of guidance for people on this interview? Be focused. Know what you're going after and know what you want it to look like. I'll leave it with a Kurt Vonnegut quote which is you have to be careful what you pretend to be because you might just become that. 
I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan Podcast. If you want to fill your favorite platform with dream customers, then come join myself and thousands of others of hosts at theluckytitan.com slash tribe. Here you can find guests for your show, get featured on other shows, and discover the secrets to building an audience of raving fans. So once again, go create your free account at theluckytitan.com slash tribe.